You're listening to the Be So Good podcast with Colin Pierce. Colin says you are 10 times better than you think. So why not be so good that they simply can't ignore you? Here's your host, Colin Pierce. Hey there. In today's cancel culture, it's easy to offend anyone about anything. In fact, I might have even offended you by mentioning it. We don't live in a cancel culture, you might say. We're living in a time when put-downs, social and racial labelling, ridicule and stereotyping are being named and shamed. Well, good. However, the trouble for a gay blade like me... There I go again, gay blade. Where do I get these from? Is that you can put your foot in it any time you like. In the 20s of the 20th century, Dale Carnegie wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People, and one of his... Postulates was, if you want people to like you, don't start by kicking the beehive over. Well, it's all very well for him. I think he lived in a time when apiarists were as rare as rocking horse manure. There were less beehives. It feels to me that everyone these days owned about five of them. Our guest in this episode is Steve Simpson. He's really good at helping people manage change. One of the difficulties of getting organisations to change is making a way through a field chock-a-block full of beehives or what he calls UGRs. UGRs? Unwritten Ground Rules. Steve's the author of two books, including UGRs, Cracking the Corporate Culture Code. He's the co-author to a further three books, the latest being A Culture Turned. He's got a master's degree from the University of Alberta, and he speaks and consults to organisations all over the world. Steve, when did you start to unpack the idea of unwritten ground rules? Colin, it was probably more than 30 years ago that um, I was at the time working in the education department in Western Australia, and I was in my late 20s, so it's well more than 30 years ago, Um, and I I was bulletproof, as we are at that age, and I was invited by a um, regional manager in the education department to do a series of sessions on various topics. Now, I'm bulletproof. I didn't even look at the topics. Uh, I said yes, and I'd facilitate these sessions for school leadership teams. Now, one of the topics, as it turned out, was on culture. I'd previously done a, um, I'd done a master's degree in studied culture. And I went back t- to my books and I looked at what I'd read And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to present this back to these leaders because it was so philosophical, so academic. So what I did, Colin, is I reflected on my time as a teacher because I taught for around four to five years. And I reflected on my time as a teacher. And I don't know how I came up with the the notion of UGRs or unwritten ground rules, but I did. And I reflected on the unwritten ground rules that I'd encountered as a teacher. And when I presented this back to this this, uh, group of school leaders, at the time, I don't know what told me this, but I just sensed I was actually onto something because we're yeah. talking about stuff that normally doesn't get talked about. I first heard you speaking about unwritten ground rules and my brain said, whatever the word is, bazooka, uh, eureka, uh, but you had found it. I, I had that resonation as well. It's, it's a terrific concept, but let's explain it some more. Um, is this breaking an unwritten round rule? I was 20. Uh, my mate and I, we came teachers on the first day. We went to the school. We were asked to come at 8 o'clock for the first staff meeting. 
the staff were all lined up at this long table. There were two spare chairs left for us, so we both sat down and nothing was said. And there was a bit of shifting and a bit of nervousness. Thank you very much, Blobhead. And then, of course, just as we settled down and started to introduce ourselves to the bloke next to us who was, was reluctant to say hello anyway, in walked the principal and the deputy and couldn't find their chairs. <laughs> Nobody had said it's an unwritten ground rule that you leave that chair and that chair for the bosses and no checkered shorts wearing newbie is going to come in and take that. You're going to die. <laughs> and sure enough, we did. Was that an unwritten ground rule or just a cultural issue? Oh, Colin, you, you've nailed it because I had exactly the same experience as a teacher. I was at Narragin Primary School, which is in southwest, southwest of Perth, and in my second year of teaching, I had exactly the same experience. I sat in a chair and got very strange looks. No sign, no advice, just very strange looks. And I later worked out exactly what you detected there. That is, that chair is reserved for the principal. But there's other, there's other UGRs that you picked up um, in that experience that you just explained, Colin, and one is to do with the level of joviality and humour that pervades the staff group, you know, because they were quiet, they were reserved. Well, there's a UGR around that as well. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots to be detected in, in any given context. When you walk into an organisation, uh, do the unwritten ground rules leap out at you? Um, Sometimes they do for me, or in a cultural issue, you you walk in and you listen to the I listen to the receptionist and think, crikey, these guys are doomed for hell. Um, you know, when I hear he or she say, uh, "Sorry, he's out," oh, I couldn't say. No, well, yeah, call back later. I think it's not his or her fault. It's the bozo at the top that hasn't ever rung himself to find out how bad it is. And so apparently there's an unwritten ground rule that you don't check your receptionist or you don't check your service people. And I picked that up instantly. Is that the sort of thing you do when you walk into an organisation, take its pulse and see mm, there's UGRs everywhere here? What is this crawling? Um, Colin, it's worse than that because it's a curse. Um, prior to doing any... Yes. Yeah, 100%, it's a curse. There is no off switch to this and... Here's the funny thing, because I define UGRs, unwritten ground rules, as people's perceptions of this is the way we do things around here. For the vast majority of us, we tune into this, all of us, and by the way, not confined to work. Any collection of people in any context, in a church, in a sporting team, at work, there will be unwritten ground rules. It's a function of human beings being together. But for the vast majority of us, this happens at an unconscious level. So a new person, doesn't matter how senior they are, a new person to an organisation will normally be quieter when they start than they otherwise would be. Why? Unconsciously, they are tuning in to try and find out what the UGRs are. Why? In order that they can conform. So we're, we're, we're cursed, Colin, because and everyone who's listening to this and viewing this is now cursed because now it brings what normally happens at an unconscious level to a conscious level and there's no off switch. Like pre-COVID, I used to sit in airport lounges and listen 
um, you know, eavesdropping on conversations. And, I, and my mind would go, that's a UGR, that's a UGR, that's a... and there was no stopping it. it. It's a curse, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, give us some quick examples of, of uh, UGRs where you might have put your foot in it or where anybody else could. Like I, I walk around with constant shoe leather taste on my tongue. So like I said in the introduction, <laughs> kicking over beehives is so easy. The blooming things are everywhere. Have you noticed that? Well, look, and we need to be fair here. UGRs are not always negative. I mean, um, that, that, that tends to be what we're drawn to. But if you're on a positive dynamic team right now, by definition, it follows there are positive dynamic UGRs. So it has to be the case. But look, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of the strength of a UGR from a real thing that happened to me. I was invited to present to the top 20 people, including the CEO, um, of an organisation on the topic of UGRs. So I go into their boardroom, again, pre-COVID, I go into their boardroom, um, there's 20 people there, including the CEO, and I start presenting. After 15 minutes, I am gone, finished, shattered, couldn't, literally, could not continue after 15 minutes. Picture this, every single person's eyes in that room were fixed firmly on the table in front of them. I'm looking literally at 20 forwards for 15 minutes. Now, um, we've all seen beginning speakers and trainers, they shake through nerves. I regressed to that because when you're looking at 20 forwards for 15 minutes, it shatters your confidence. So I'm now, um, the shaking is starting to come out my voice. So I literally could not continue. And I stopped and I said, look, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to have to stop here. I said, and I took, a, I took a couple of deep breaths to try and recompose myself. And I said this, I said, look, to be honest, I'm picking up a UGR in this room right now, and I admit I may be incorrect in interpreting it, but I'm seeing everyone's eyes fixed firmly on the table in front of them. I'm picking up a UGR which says around here, outsiders have got nothing to contribute. Well, that did the trick, Colin. A few eyes lifted then. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, what's the difference between, oh, gee, UGRs and and manners. Uh, I was younger. I was uh, sent to Canberra. I stayed with uh, one of the client's managers who happened to be uh, Chinese and uh, a well-to-do Chinese man with a beautiful home. And uh, I thanked him and his wife and we had a nice time. Came back. And then there was a complaint within the next few days about please don't send any more rude people like that Colin Pierce because he didn't even bring us flowers, or take us out to a meal. Now, I didn't know, had no idea. Maybe I should have. Was that an unwritten ground rule or just a cultural faux pas? Yeah, well, see, um, prior to you sharing that story, which is really fascinating, I was, I was going to share a view that manners are often culture-based, so I've done a little bit of work in Asia, not much, yeah. uh, and I quickly learned that when you go into the, well, at least in, I was working with Chinese Malays in Malaysia, and I quickly learned there that when you're a guest in somebody's house, you take your shoes off before you enter the house. So that's manners to them, but that's a culture-based manner. But I, I would say that UGRs um, can override our, even our, our uh, normal way of behaving. And I'll give you an example of this. I was sharing 
to a group of CEOs who meet as a mastermind group, uh, and this is an organised. Um, this is this is organised. So this company has ma- CEO mastermind groups organised all over the place, across Australia and elsewhere, and there are many of them, and they group meeting groups around twelve to fifteen. So I'm I'm invited to present to one of these, um, and I'll get the areas mixed up. It doesn't matter. This was in the Gold Coast. And I'm presenting on, on UGRs. And soon after I introduce UGRs, one of the guys in the room, who's a CEO, puts his hand to his head like this. And he goes, oh, I don't believe it. And so I stopped. I said, did you want to share this with the rest of the group? And he said, Steve, I've, we've uh, recently moved house, moved location. And I was in a mastermind group in Brisbane. And there was a UGR in that group that said, around here, new members to our group are to be treated with the deepest suspicion until they prove us wrong. He said, I was cold and aloof to new people joining our group. He says, I've joined this new group, and the UGR is around here, new members to our group are welcomed for the contribution they can bring until they prove us wrong. He says, here I am, almost physically giving these people a hug as they join our group. Now, there's the same guy who whose behaviours are being dictated, who's intelligent, smart, senior, whose behaviours are being dictated by a group of people with whom he meets once a month. Dramatically different behaviour because of the UGRs within each of those groups. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, a couple of other thoughts just ran through my mind. Uh, I was in uh, Malaysia, KL, La, and uh, I... Paul, I love babies, absolutely love looking at babies. And my family's that embarrassed, but I've got to stop and talk to a baby. Uh, I think babies know something that, you know, they've just come from some wonderful place. They just know stuff. And if you stand there long enough, something will run over you. Now, that's a lot of balava, but there you go. Uh, I love looking at babies. I think they're absolutely stunning. And uh, I usually say, that's a lovely little bubby. Oh, you're lucky to have a bubby like that. So I'm going around KL saying to people, oh, can I see your bubby? Guess what the local dialect word for pig is? <laughs> Here I am in a Muslim culture saying to people, what a lovely little pig you've got. <laughs> and I, then I fly back to say, don't laugh, it's not funny. Um, I could have got... Um, I went to, uh, uh, was you know, pig meat, Muslim, wrong. Um, it just goes on. There are, there are pitfalls everywhere. And I think I want to ask you before we get on to solving them, uh, how do you deal with yourself when you discover you've kicked over a beehive? You've stepped on an unwritten ground rule and now half the people in your group are saying, hmm, see if you're this guy. Can you recover from a faux pas that where you really mucked one up? Oh, absolutely. We get, we, you know, I think all of us can recover if we demonstrate that we're that that it, it was a naive and innocent error that we made, and that we're keen to to address that. You know, I think, I mean, the ideal is not to kick over the beehive to find out what, where the beehives are before you start walking, and that's again why most of us stay quieter when we join a new group because we're sensing who the beehive owners are, where they're located, uh, and where not to step. But, look, I, I think the vast is, majority of people... Is, is, this a, is this a fair sign you're, you're in trouble? 
that or people nudging. Like we've all been to meetings and we've been those people where the new person says something in a meeting that they shouldn't have, you know, because eyes might roll. Um, one person sat next to the edge might nudge the next person and under their breath say, give them time. You know, we've all, we've all seen those. We've, we've seen those cues. We've seen them. And, and that's a very strong message. Don't do that again. And we think that's subtle as, as the old timers at that meeting. We think that's subtle. But there's no way that's subtle. That's in the face of that new person so much that it's highly likely, likely they won't do it again. So the, 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 the cues for breaching accepted UTRs are, are normally very clear. We think they're subtle, but normally it's in the face of us. You know, we know. Okay, so once you discover a few UGRs, you've spent your life preparing people for change by pointing out the UGRs, the unwritten ground rules that have to be overcome or established. So maybe walk us through how you go about that so that people who aren't going to make a profession of it but can at least get through their families and their friends and, and their community workplace. So our first, we, we got a five-step process and um, the first step says forget about UGRs because there's a more important consideration and that is from an organisational point of view, Colin, I haven't had the courage to go into, because UGRs exist in families, any collection of people will have UGRs. I haven't had the courage to go into the UGRs associated with families. I've worked in the space of, uh, of the workplace, okay? And from, but I think, uh, again, I haven't had the courage to go there, but I think these, uh, some of the things I'm going to talk about now might even have application in a family context. Um, but from a workplace context, the first step is to say, what culture do we need to have in place for us to truly be successful while making it a great place to work? We need clarity and commitment to an aspirational culture, not for the sake of being soft and flowery, but in the interest of us being truly successful while also making it a great place to work, what does our culture need to look and feel like? That's the first step. We need clarity around that. In the absence of fighting for, the leaders in particular, fighting for this aspirational culture, what are they fighting for? Um, so that's the first step. We were listening to uh, a couple of people over the last few episodes and they've talked about begin with a plan and I think begin with the end in view from the... Uh, Mr. Covey, Dr. Covey, is still helpful advice today. You have to have a picture of what it wants to look like. Uh, there's a while you were speaking, I was distracted by my own recollection of an organisation that said the directors had said we will only work with people uh, who are fun. Our business will be about fun, finance, and fun finance and. I think fineness or we will do lovely work. But the CEO was a bully. Uh, he'd scream if anybody left their coffee cup on the counter or on the on yeah. the sink if they didn't put their dishes in the dishwasher. And although it was all supposed to be fun, he wasn't. And sometimes you can have this great plan, but it doesn't sink through. You've confronted that, I'm sure. Well, that's that's where the next step of our five-step process. Um, it, folks, he leads them in. Go on. Well, this is we, yeah, we've got to hit the, the rubber's got to hit the road, right? Because um, we say don't have value statements just for the sake of having values, you know, because often they're conceived as 
completely separate from any serious planning process by consideration of a question like, oh, by the way, what do we want our values to be? I mean, they're often, we've got to reframe our thinking to say that our culture is the foundation stone upon which everything sits. And your, your example just now, Colin, is a classic example of that. You know, we've got these flowery values, fun, finance, and something else. But, you know, people are treated with disrespect. So how can we have fun if that's the context? So we've got to, we've got to get serious about genuinely what do we need our culture to be. But then the second step is now finding out what the UGRs are in relation to that aspirational culture. So let's just presume that a, a cultural aspect of our culture that we really want to pursue is teamwork. How would people in an organisation complete this sentence anonymously? Around here when you need help or around here when it comes to dealing with people from other work areas. If we're fighting for innovation and constant improvement, how would people in an organisation complete this sentence? Around here when someone comes up with a new idea. If we're fighting for genuine respect across an organisation, how would people complete this sentence? Around here, people are treated. So, Colin, I hope you can see from that that we can find out what the current UGRs are simply by getting people to complete the sentence to what we call lead-in sentences. And more often than not, in fact, almost in every case, it is a revelation what we unearth. Is there really? So either serious about this, or, uh, it's, it's, it's a revelation. Um, it is staggeringly powerful for leaders and staff to see the outcomes from simply getting people to complete these sentences. Remember, linked back to the culture that we need in place for us to truly be successful while making this a great place to work. It's a revelation. What sort of revelation can you recall? It's a bit hard to drop it on you right now, but does something come to mind? Well, often, often the negativity that is below the surface. So we've done a lot of research. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. We've done a lot of research. and We've, we've discovered almost without exception that leaders see their culture more positively than middle managers who in turn see their culture more positively than non-managers. So when we surface this stuff, it is often a genuine surprise for people, for leaders, about the extent to which people are unhappy in the workplace. And this, this has significant and substantial implications. So I'll give you an example. Around here, when someone comes up with a new idea, we've often included that in what we call a UGR's stop take, which again, we craft this uniquely to the, the aspirational culture for that organisation. But we'll often include around here when someone comes up with a new idea. It's not uncommon for someone to write something like this, Colin. Around here when someone comes up with a new idea, bosses pinch the good ideas and use them as their own. Now, that's gonna, you know, that's that's amusing to hear that. But think about the consequences of that UGR. If that's my UGR, I'm at a meeting, the boss or somebody else says, any ideas on how we can improve here? I've got plenty of ideas, but my UGR is going to cause me to stay silent. There's no way I'm going to share that because of my UGR. So it's got dramatic impact on people's performance, their desire to go above and beyond or, or not. Um, this has enormous ramifications, enormous. Yeah, so you discover this in your 
UGR uncovery. 100%. We get, then we get people involved. So you see, here's my view. One of the, one, if there is a silver bullet when it comes to um, improving cultures or indeed transforming cultures, if there is a silver bullet, and there probably isn't, but if there is, I think it's the notion of shared ownership. I think too many staff take a cop-out position and point upwards and, and say, if only they'd fix things up, we'd be okay. So what we do with the outcomes from this UGR stock take is we share the results. First with leaders, they, they deserve the right to see the results first. But then our approach is to say, let's share this um, with everyone in the organisation. Teach them about UGRs, share the results, but most importantly, get them involved in saying, what can we do to make improvements to any areas of concern from this with particular emphasis on what each of us as individuals might be able to do differently. We've got to encourage this shared ownership. I think there is, I've learned there, is a, there are a lot of people who are unhappy in the workplace. The vast, and I include leaders here, there's a lot. And the vast majority of those people do not want it to be that way. They've merely given up hope of it being any different. So we need a circuit breaker and introducing people to UGRs and going through this sort of process can often be that circuit breaker. The third step is actually teaching people about UGRs and we can include and do, we can do this as part of that process of sharing the results from um, collecting the current UGRs. And what we, when, we, when we get people to complete the sentence, that's called a UGRs stock take. So we're finding out what the current UGRs are, remember, associated with the most important aspects of our culture. So we craft these lead-in sentences to link back to the most important aspects of our culture. We teach people, the third step is teaching people about UGRs. Um, many people are subscribing to negative UGRs, but doing so unconsciously. Why? Because that's why, why we've always done it. And by the way, that's what's tolerated. So in the if circumstance you described, Colin, that behavior was tolerated. So we, we, you know, we've got to put a circuit breaker in this and um, UGRs can be that circuit breaker. I mean, there's other options, but we've got to try and put a circuit breaker in this. Um, yeah, so the third step is to, and often, often you, well, not, I don't know if the word often is the right word. Sometimes UGRs is a revelation for people because they, they realize they've been subscribing to negative UGRs, but they've been doing that unconsciously. Um, and maybe that was the case with in this example you gave, Colin, that those people realised that, wow, it's just a UGR that I've been subscribing to for 30 years or more, and it was never brought to a level of consciousness that, you know, that made me realise what I'm actually doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I love those moments. If the organisation is primed and ready, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see, isn't it, when people snap open and say, oh, I had no idea. I get it. And they've been living in their own underground as well as their unwritten uh, ground rules. Do you have uh, a list of successes that spring to mind? Some breakthrough stories? Um, well, one of my favourites is Kmart because um, uh, I don't know if people remember this, but Kmart had literally lost money for 10 years in a row, literally. Um in, you know, Australian discount department stores, um, that world, they were bottom of the list. They'd, they'd lost money. They had an awful toxic culture. Uh, Guy Rasto, uh, West Farmers purchased Kmart. Um, 
and put in a new leadership team headed up by Guy Russo, the best leader I've ever met. Um, and he, he loved UGRs. And so they used UGRs as the vehicle to um, understand and improve the culture across Kmart. Now, that's not solely responsible for the transformation of Kmart, which is now by a long stretch Australia's leading retailer, but it was one of the four major platforms. And um, it, was an, it was an awful culture. Stores to ring into head office, as it was then called. Words matter. They now call it support office. But um, they would ring into head office and the phones would ring out. Uh, you know, people would walk past ringing phones. There was internal warfare. Um, it, it was bad. And um, UGRs was the vehicle to understand and improve the culture there. And that was, that was I mean, I don't know if any of you people who are watching this have been to a Kmart store recently, but um, they're legendary now, aren't they? Um, yeah, so... Yes. Uh, yeah. I was surprised the other day to find somebody who appeared to be quite new. She was young, and I asked her where the somethings were. And uh, she said, come on, I'll show you. And I thought, hello. They've either hired a person with a great social IQ or a retail IQ, or they've trained it in. And uh, I got the feeling that as I walked around the stores near me, uh, a lot of them do it. So I guess it guessed that it's part of that culture. Moving over to you, if you're scratching your head in front of the automatic exit teller machine, what do you call it? The scanner uh, saying, a bit of trouble there, aren't you? Uh, to which you can say, yeah, actually, let me think. I say, yeah, let me do it. And they've got that lovely tone about them, which is as rare as rocking horse manure in retail universally, isn't it? Well, you know, my, my view is that the vast majority of people, including leaders, including staff, want to be part of a positive, dynamic, productive culture. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think most of us have an innate desire to be part of that team. But so many people are given up hope of it being any different to what it currently is. And I think that's what happened at Kmart. We, we actually gave people hope. Um, led by a brilliant leader. Guy Russo is the best leader I've ever met. And, um, you know, now, now it's, it's often UGRs are used to pull people back or pull them down, you know. Um, you know, comments like give them time um, are often at, uh, directed at new people who come in starry-eyed and positive, you know, give them time. They're being dragged down, and they will get dragged down after time. But we can flip this around. I think it's got to a point in Kmart where they're so proud of the culture that they have that it works in reverse. And I'd, I'd guess that a person came, who came in and talked negatively about customers, for example, would be pulled in the line and you know, be told uh, in no uncertain terms, hang on, that's not the way we do things around here. Customers are really important. Pull your socks up. You know? So it's, it's an exciting prospect, I think, to be characterised by a positive, productive, dynamic culture. Um, which is, by definition, positive UGRs. Mm. Uh, we're about to wind up, but I, I'm tempted to ask you about Guy Russo. You mentioned him twice as the best leader you've ever met. What was so hot about Guy Russo? You know, um, I can give you, I can give you a, um, a couple of examples. So I'll give you one example, um, Colin. I organised to meet with him. Um, we both live in Melbourne, and um, he, he, he said, yeah, let's have a meet, meeting in Melbourne. And so he said, look, I've got a meeting prior to us meeting in a location that's not in the Kmart office. It's, it's in, in the city of Melbourne. So I was waiting outside um, of this city office. Um, 
um, for Colin, uh, for, for Guy to, to complete his meeting. And he comes out and, uh, you know, we did our pleasantries. How's it going, Guy? I said, so how's business as we're walking towards a coffee shop? And Guy turned to me and he said, Steve, I don't want to talk about work. How's, um, how's the family? Now, that's the leader of one of the major discount department stores in Australia. And that's his instant response. And that's Guy. You know, um, I did a series of uh, sessions for the Kmart leaders right across Australia and New Zealand, and Guy attended them all. And during the, during the break, during the morning tea break, I, I get people to reflect on this. I say, what are leaders most often doing during a break in a session which is run by me, an outsider, uh, but all the staff are from the one organisation. What are the senior leaders most often doing? Well, they're either on their phone or talking to each other. Not Guy. Guy was amongst the troops, could not be seen talking to the troops. And that's the way he's wired. He just has a desire to know and learn about other people, mostly those who aren't leaders. Um, that's the way he was wired. So people pick up on this very, very quickly. And there's a strong UGR that says our leader genuinely cares. And I don't think there's too many organisations that have that UGR in place. And I don't know if you have to be wired that way, but certainly Guy was wired that way. So UGRs and Guy fitted together perfectly because he models so, so, so many positive UGRs. And, um, you know, what a remarkable turnaround um, that, that story is of Kmart. Fantastic. You're right. I often think of, well, mostly think of UGRs as the negative ones, uh, but there are, uh, if you're going to go back to the garden or apiarist analogy, there are also lovely rose bushes in the garden, which you can approach and enjoy, breathe in and thoroughly um, use that as a positive experience for yourself if you see it that way. I guess if you walk around looking for beehives to boot over <laughs> they're easy don't need big feet either hey it's been fantastic talking to you and i'm so glad you dropped in thank you very much we've been listening to the one and only steve simpson tell us where we can find you are you got a funny url uggers <laughs> you're a little come as a surprise to everyone that you can get me well the, the website is ugrs.net and my email, steve at ugrs.net. Been a treat, Colin. And what? It's been a treat to connect oh, with you. Yeah, it has been a treat. And I look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. Thanks, Colin. You've been listening to Be So Good with Colin Pierce. Please share the link with someone who needs to be reminded that they are 10 times better than they think. For more episodes, check out the playlist at colinpierce.com slash podcast. And don't forget to drop a review in iTunes. It really does make a difference.